Welcome to Impact AI, the podcast for startups who want to create a better future through the use of machine learning. I'm your host, Heather Couture. Today, I'm joined by guest Gershom Kutlerov, CTO of Tyrannus, to talk about precision agriculture by monitoring fields. Gershom, welcome to the show. Hi, Heather. Thanks for having me. Gershom, could you share a bit about your background and how that led you to Tyrannus? Sure. So I've been working in the field of AI for the last 20 years. Uh, it used to be computer vision. Then about 10 years ago, it changed to AI. And previously, I was a founder of a startup and the CTO of a startup that we developed gesture recognition technology based on 3D cameras. This was about 12, 13 years ago. I was the CTO of that company for six and a half years, and it was later acquired by Intel. And then I worked at Intel for three years, and then left again to start another startup. That startup was in the drone space. We were developed autonomous drone technology based on scene understanding. And that startup was less successful, so we closed that one down. So then I was looking around for my next challenge and decided I was done for the time being with the startup founder path and came across Tyrannus, and Tyrannus is using drone technology to capture imagery and then use AI to process that imagery to understand what's happening in growers' fields. So that was a good match for me. And at that time, the AI technology within Tyrannus was starting to come into its own. And the challenge for the company really was to take this basic product market fit and understand how to really scale it up and offer this product to the industry where we'd be able to service on the order of billions of acres a season. So that was a new challenge for me in terms of scaling up this type of technology, which I was eager to take on. And that's what led me to Tyrannus. So what products does Tyrannus develop and why is this important for agriculture? So primarily we work with two different sources of data. The first is high resolution imagery that we capture either by flying small airplanes, uh, that's primarily for the market that we service in Brazil and South America. And our larger market segment is in the US where we fly drones over agricultural fields. And the other source of imagery is from satellites. So these are two very different sources of imagery. The imagery that we capture from small airplanes and drones is very high resolution. It's less than a millimeter per pixel. We get very high quality detailed images of what's happening in the fields. Whereas with the satellite imagery, we get frequent imagery and we get it year round, not only during the growing season when we fly these drones, but the obviously the scale is much lower. So those are two different sources of imagery that we use to generate insights. And these insights are used by growers and consultants in the ag industry to make decisions based on the data that we're supplying them. Specifically, we generate insights for plant population so that we sample the field with high-resolution imagery and then count the number of plants that are growing throughout the field. That could lead to decisions such as to replant areas of the field or to continue investing in that part of the field by applying more fertilizer based on how healthy the plant population is. We also generate insights where we detect the distribution of weeds throughout the field and 
the even the species of the weeds, and that drives decisions about herbicide application and which types of herbicide. And we also generate insights where we look for signs of disease and nutrient deficiencies. And that similarly drives the decision to use certain applications in the field to address problems that we find. So it helps farmers be more successful by understanding the state of their specific crops and the challenges they need to target in their fields today, as opposed to another field that might have a different challenge. Is that a fair characterization? Yeah, I think that's certainly a fair characterization. In the past, a lot of these decisions weren't really uh, supported by data. So let's say a farmer would just spray herbicide over the entire field. And now we're just starting to see a move towards more custom application where if the farmer knows that there are certain areas of the field that in which there are no weeds, so he won't spray herbicide in those parts of the field. So it's a much more data-driven type of decision. Data is definitely one of the essential components for machine learning, but what role does machine learning play in your technology? It's absolutely critical. When Tyrannus started, the imagery was processed with manual taggers. The AI models, we didn't have AI models ready. And so all of the imagery went to went through this process of people who would, annotators who would actually tag the images manually, and we would generate insights based on that. And then as we've grown and as we've developed the technology, so we've really shifted that all over to AI models that process all the imagery and generate the insights automatically. And there's an obvious, very important cost issue here, that if you can move from manual tagging to automatic tagging, then obviously your cost goes way down. But I would emphasize that there are actually other factors that come into play, and maybe they're even more important, in that we scale the number of images that we process goes up, and as the scale of our services continue to increase, it becomes increasingly difficult to maintain consistent quality levels if you're working with tens or even hundreds of annotators. But when you have AI models, then you have the ability to control the quality of the insights that you're generating. And a lot of the things that we're looking for in the images that we're capturing are not obvious to the untrained eye. Let's say certain disease symptoms where a trained agronomist can usually recognize what particular disease he's seeing in the imagery, but somebody who's not trained would have a hard time. So if you have this large group of annotators who are manually annotating these images, and you have to have some kind of quality control, and as that group continues to increase, the quality control gets more and more difficult to manage. Another aspect is it's really critical for us to deliver insights to our customers in a timely manner, because as I mentioned, they make decisions on how to treat their fields based on the insights that we're generating. And if it takes us a few days to generate the insight, then we may very well have missed the window of opportunity in which this insight can lead to specific decisions. So by having an automated system and AI models that do all of this processing, so you can really have a high level of confidence vis-a-vis the time that it's gonna take you to deliver these insights. And obviously you're gonna be able to do it much faster And then the last thing I'll mention in terms of why machine learning is so critical for us is that it it opens new paths to future products that wouldn't otherwise be possible. So for example, we've begun moving some of our processing down to the edge, by which I mean we're doing some of it on the drone at the field. 
And obviously, there's not the ability to have somebody in the loop who's can manually tag it or process the image. It all has to be done automatically. And the fact that you have these AI models that can do it allows you to offer these types of products, which also means that you can gather more intelligence at the field. You can make decisions at the field based on what you're seeing in the imagery. So it opens new opportunities as well. So what kind of models do you train? Maybe you can provide a couple of examples of an input and an output for some of the models that that you're working with here. Okay, so I think from an AI perspective, the models are fairly straightforward. For example, I mentioned our plant population insight or stand count, and that's where we want to count the number of plants. Typically, we'll fly a field about two weeks after planting date, after the field's planted. So plants are just starting to emerge, so they're very small. And it's important for the farmer, that's the first chance that he gets to be able to count the number of plants that are coming up at different parts of the field. So we'll capture an image, we'll capture many images of the field, let's say hundreds of images of the field. And in each one, there's anywhere from 60 to, let's say, 120 different plants emerging. And so we want to count those plants The model is just a fairly straightforward object detection model, YOLO or faster RCNN for people who are familiar with those types of models. And then later on in the season, we're looking for specific occurrences of either symptoms of disease or nutrient deficiencies that you can see on the leaves of the plants, or similarly, the appearance of weeds or specific weed species. And so that's, again, we capture several hundred images with a drone of the field and then run a classification problem where we want to classify either which weeds we're seeing in the image or which symptoms of certain diseases we're seeing. How do you gather and annotate the data for training these models? You mentioned both satellite and aerial imagery. You you must have specific requirements for gathering it and dealing with the complexities of annotating it. Yes. One of the things that I can give credit here because this decision was made before I came to the company, but there was a decision made to run our own operations within Tyrannus. I think this is not all of the companies in this space do this. The drones that we fly, we own them and we manage a fleet of pilots during the season. It's on the order of hundreds of drones and hundreds of pilots. And there's obviously a lot of logistical overhead in managing that type of an operation. And the reason that we do it, there are several reasons that we do it, but the one that I'll emphasize here is the ability to have control over the data that we're getting, the quality of the data, and also the timing of the data. I mentioned earlier, the timing is really critical here. First of all, because plants grow fairly quickly during the growing season, and you if you don't want to miss the chance to capture the imagery when you expect to be able to capture it and then process it. And also because the decisions that are being made by the growers based on the insights that we're generating are also very time sensitive. The ability to have our own operation where we decide when we're sending pilots to the field means that we can make sure that we get to the field at the right time. And also that we're capturing the imagery at the quality that we expect to get it. So an alternative approach would be, let's say, to just 
expect growers to go down to their fields and take images with their mobile phones or some other, or maybe some other drone or any other drone, and then upload those images to our system. The disadvantage of that kind of approach is that you have much less control over the quality of the imagery that you're getting and also the timing of it, as I mentioned, when it when the imagery is actually taken. So it may not be relevant for the insights that you're trying to generate. And the approach that Tyrannus has taken, where we control our own operations, so the disadvantage is that it's costly and it's logistically challenging to manage. Um, but the advantage is that we have a lot of control over the quality of the data that we're getting. So just to circle around to your question, when we gather all of the data, we are able to gather the data according to the specs that we want because we're the ones that are gathering it. And obviously the data that we're gathering when we're in production is what then is later used for training. And that's a big advantage for us, knowing that this data, seeing the data was captured within the quality that we expect it to be captured in. I'll just mention one other related topic. I think that there's a lot of discussion in the last few years in the AI space about data-centric versus model-centric. So model-centric would be the case where in your development, you invest a lot in choosing the right architecture that optimizes your performance, gives you the best results for your models, or spending a lot of time with hyperparameters, that, that type of work. And data-centric is you spend a lot more time making sure that your data set is clean, that you've got, that it's balanced, that you've got the right amount of classes for the problem that you're trying to solve. And I would say our approach is, we have some internal debates about this, but in general, I would say that our approach leans more towards the data-centric side of this. And so we've really invested a lot in that side of the problem. That is, we've built a lot of infra tooling infrastructure on our data annotation platform, the data annotation platform that we're using. We annotate all of our data using things like a gold standard so that before annotators start to work, we review, we make sure that they're tagging according to how we expect them to be tagging and grade them on that before they can actually start working. We work with consensus, which means that we have multiple annotators working on every particular image, and we only take the images into our training data set on which there is agreement among the annotators. And then afterwards, we'll also use a lot of tools to look at that data and clean it and look for maybe mistakes that got into the annotation. So we spend a lot of energy there on making sure that our data is as clean as it can be. And I think personally, I think that's a really critical piece of getting the best performance you can get out of these AI models. So by operating your own drones, you have a lot of control over that imagery and its quality and so on. But despite that, are there any challenges that you've encountered in working with that particular type of imagery? So yes, absolutely. Good question. There, there are lots of challenges. One of the challenges, and maybe this is more specific to the domain that we're in, even let's say we're servicing millions of acres a year and we fly each of those acres several times. And so we have, we capture during a season, a lot of images, tens of millions of images. But even so, we struggle with 
the problem of long tail distributions. If I take diseases as an example, there are some diseases that can cause a lot of damage to the crops, but they're very rare in terms of how often they actually occur in growers' fields. So even if we process an entire season and we have millions of images, we may see specific diseases only, let's say, a hundred times. We give maybe get a hundred images or two or 300 images of specific diseases that we really want to try to detect. So that's definitely a big challenge, that kind of highly unbalanced classes. And it's a similar problem in terms of detecting weed species. Some of the damaging weed species also occur very rarely. One of the things that we've started to look at to try to attack this problem is the use of synthetic data. So increasingly, I think that there are up-and-coming startups in the AI space that are offering synthetic data-based products. And we've started to evaluate some of those offerings to see if they could be used to help us specifically with this long-tail problem. And the other thing I'll just mention is what I mentioned before. We're always concerned about the quality of the imagery. We want to make sure that the quality is as predictable as we can get it. One of the things that we've done in that regard is... Again, because we're running our own operations and so we're flying our own drones, we've also invested in the software that's running on the drones when we're flying. So the images that drone pilot captures in the field are validated in the field. We have algorithms running on the edge to be able to check the quality of those images. And then if the images are not the quality that we expect them to get, the pilot knows while he's still there at the field and he can fly again. And that's also been one of the challenges of working with this type of imagery, especially in all sorts of conditions in that, that we aren't necessarily in control of, and given that we've got a relatively short time window to capture all of that data. Validating the quality of your images like that is definitely important. How do you validate your machine learning models themselves? For a lot of the models that we use, we really need domain experts. You really need trained agronomists who can look at these images and say, identify specific diseases or specific weed species. It's after working in this, working with these images for several years, a lot of us who are working on the AI models can start to do that as well, but it's hard to learn that type of expertise. So we've spent a lot of effort incorporating our domain experts, our agronomists, we have in-house agronomists, into the release process, by which I mean we have an internal flow by which we capture all these images, they get uploaded to our cloud, we then run the AI models on the imagery and generate the insights that we want to be able to deliver to our customers. Before they go to our customers, we run a second set of models on the results of our detection classification models and on the insights that we've generated. And we look for results that have low confidence of being accurate. Perhaps there's particular data points that were out of the distribution of the training data. The models did not perform well, or perhaps there's something suspicious about the way the insights look or their distribution of the insights. And so a certain percentage of all of the missions that we've flown 
are sent for review by our in-house ergonomists before we release them to customers. So that's a really critical piece of how we do validation. And that also gives us a high level of confidence internally that the product that we're releasing to our customers stands by the quality that we expect it to. In hindsight, one of the aspects that's really made that process successful is, is that we've really built tools for the agronomists so that they can easily, we prepare these reports for them to look at in order for them to review the results of these insights that we've generated to quickly see if there really are problems from the AI models or there's something that we want to catch. So they're able to actually do that very quickly. And it's really part of their daily workflow. That's been also another critical aspect of building this type of a validation system. And then maybe the most interesting possibility, which we're just now starting to look at more seriously, is if we can use, uh, I would say, orthogonal sources of information in order to validate the insights that we're generating. For example, typically, if there's a spread of disease, or certainly for certain types of diseases, you'll get, you should see a large, a relatively large sample of fields in a particular region affected by the same disease. That's naturally because it spreads. That's how it spreads. So as we've as the as we've scaled up and the number of acres that we're processing gets larger, that becomes a more effective way to start validating what we're actually seeing in different growers' fields. So looking at some kind of statistical measures across different growers and across different fields to make sure that we seem to be generating consistent results. So that's an interesting way to do validation because it's, as I said, it's an orthogonal source of information. But we're really just starting to look at that now because you do need to get to some kind of pretty large scale to be able to use methods like that. How do you ensure that your models generalize to a variety of situations in in which they might need to generalize to? For example, maybe different geographic locations, different crops, different weather, lighting conditions. How do you make sure that your models are robust to that when needed? Yeah, we, we definitely have that problem, especially because almost every season there are new regions in the U.S. that we're focusing on. Primarily in the U.S., we're focused around the Midwest, Corn Belt and that area. But we're always expanding into new regions, and there are variations in the data so we, we do suffer from this type of data drift where the data that we're seeing in production is not exactly in the same distribution as the data that we used to train. So the most effective technique that we've seen is to implement some kind of a continuous learning type of framework whereby we're able to take data that we're capturing in production. So when we're actually live and servicing our customers' fields. And then the data that doesn't have a a good correspondence with the distribution of the training data that was used for the models, we can then filter that data out. We can extract that data and use it to quickly retrain the models, to adapt the models, and then deploy those models back into production. That type of a flow whereby we take data that we captured and find the data that we would want to use to retrain models and then automatically retrain those models and deploy them back into production very quickly with a high level of confidence that we're not actually 
hurting our performance has been a good solution for that problem of data drift that we've seen. And some of it goes back to what I mentioned previously about our ability to identify the data that doesn't seem to be correlated with the models that we're currently using. So to identify data that's out of distribution or the data that is flagged by the by our domain experts, by the agronomists who are reviewing a certain small percentage of the data based on these models that flag potential problems in the insights that we're generating. So that all goes together to allow for this continuous learning type of framework. That's been the most effective technique. Closing the feedback loop like that so that you know when your data is drifting and can correct it, retrain your models and move forward. That's definitely an effective way to do it. It's not possible in all applications, but where it is possible and efficient to do, it's certainly effective. So machine learning and deep learning especially has been advancing very rapidly over the last decade or so. Many problems don't need the latest and greatest, but some would not be practical without it. Are there any specific technological advancements that made it possible to build your technology now that would have made it infeasible a few years ago? So I guess it goes without saying that without neural networks and the advances in AI, it would not have been possible, I don't think, to support this type of a product. But I think most people in the field wouldn't have to be convinced of that. One area where I would draw attention to is where the drone technology is. So we use DJI drones. We use their enterprise drones. And there, there's been some very impressive advances in that technology in the last few years. We're able to very reliably and very robustly fly these drones over fields in all sorts of conditions. We don't usually fly in the rain, but these drones, at least according to their specs, are also able to fly in the rain. But we'll fly in high winds and throughout the day in changing light conditions. And we get very high quality, high resolution images reliably from the drone. Without motion blur, we fly drones at about 80 feet elevation, and we're able to get high resolution imagery where each each pixel corresponds to about 0.3 millimeters on the ground. So really high quality images and getting them reliably throughout the season. That's really been crucial breakthrough. In addition to the battery life, these drones are up in the air for over 40 minutes. That's been really crucial. Yeah, I can see that high resolution and high quality imagery as being essential for your application. Is there any advice you could offer to other leaders of AI-powered startups? This kind of goes without saying. But I think that the opportunity for startups often is about the intersection between your product design and your technology, by which I mean, you can come up with a product design that allows you to stage your technology development so that as you're building your technology and AI technology, even as advanced as it is today, often takes a few years to really mature. But if you can figure out a way to launch products before that technology is fully matured. So if I take the example of of what Tyrannus has done, and I think has done quite well. So the company started by offering a product based on manual tagging, which didn't have any AI technology at the beginning, which allows it to offer products and 
service customers and start building this very rich database that we leverage now. And then as the AI models matured, so we're able to move that whole paradigm over to running all this data through AI models, and that has all the advantages that I mentioned before. And now we're really starting to look past that and take these AI models that are currently running on the cloud and start to think, okay, we can actually start to push some of that intelligence down to the edge and do a lot of this processing of the field, which has lots of advantages in terms of a product offering. So that's an example of how you can think about how do you do you build a product that supports your technology as it's developing, as it's improving? A another example from the Tyrannus story that I would give is the example I mentioned earlier about the decision to run all your operations. From the perspective of building AI technology, that's been a, a real boon for us because, as I said, we can capture this imagery at the quality that we expect to get it at the right timing, which is really important for the product. So if you, let's say if you took the alternative of having your customers capture their own imagery or capturing the imagery through different cameras and different drones, that would translate into a much more challenging problem on the AI side, on the technology side, because you've got a much more diverse data set. You have to really balance the quality that you're getting. It, it off, I think that it would very likely mean that you wouldn't be able to deliver the quality of the insight that you would otherwise be able to deliver because you'd have to compromise on what kind of imagery you were willing to accept, run through your AI models. So I think that's another example of where you can make clever product design decisions that really complement your technology capabilities, especially while the technology is being built. And then the last thing, I'll throw out there just because I wish somebody would have told this to me more 10 years ago. It's just the importance of investing in tools and infrastructure. Make sure you've got a really good data annotation platform if you're in the AI space and that you're really putting the development resources into integrating with that platform and building tools with it. Have used tools that allow you to look at your data, do your data analysis, ties back to what I said earlier, our sort of data-centric perspective. Now there's increasingly tools for synthetic data. The investment in that kind of tools and infrastructure always pays a lot more dividends than you expect it to. And finally, where do you see the impact of Tyrannus in three to five years? Good question. I think increasingly, we're starting to see even more pressure on the agriculture industry and growers in terms of this move towards sustainability, there's increasing interest in understanding what's the right balance of chemical application on fields and what's the long-term environmental impact of certain chemical applications. There's increasing interest in applying regenerative agricultural practices, which are certain things that growers can decide to do when they manage their fields like using cover crops, which means that they grow crops in the off-season to keep the soil covered. Other things they can do to maximize soil health. And a lot of these regenerative practices also sequester carbon in the soil. And there's increasing interest in that as well. 
So I think a lot of this goes hand in hand with the adoption of more data-driven practices, understanding how you can better manage your field to achieve not only the best yield, but also long-term health, long-term soil health, minimizing the environmental impact. And at the same time, I think that Tyrannus and companies like Tyrannus as well, in, in particular, from my perspective, one of the things that Tyrannus is doing is supplying that data, supplying really the insights about what's really happening in the field in order to drive these types of data-driven decisions. So I think that you have this convergence of multiple factors that are starting to impact the agricultural industry. And if I look three to five years down the road, I would hope that these types of things, both on the technology side, the precision agriculture side, that there are more and more solutions which allow growers and ag consultants to make really intelligent decisions about how to manage their fields that are driven by data. And as well, all of these trends in the industry about sustainability and a better understanding of the impact of how fields are managed, which chemicals are used, carbon sequestration, that there is increasing understanding of those issues as well and that the advances on the technology side, the precision ag side, can be used in order to achieve those goals as well as increasing yield harvest and contributing more towards the ability of farmers to better manage their farms. This has been great. Gershom, your team at Tyrannus is doing some really interesting work for precision agriculture. I expect that the insights you've shared will be valuable to other AI companies. Where can people find out more about you online? We have a website. That's probably the first place I would look. And on the website, recently, we've really made more of an effort to share our knowledge with the industry. So we have a knowledge center on the website where people can read articles that are technical articles about the AI that we do, as well as more industry-specific materials. And I think that as a company, we're going to continue to make more of an effort to share with the community the knowledge that we have, the knowledge that we hear from other people in the industry, our customers. So I think probably the website is a good place to start. Perfect. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you very much, Heather. Enjoyed the discussion. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. I'm Heather Couture, and I hope you join me again next time for Impact AI.